Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. I'm Molly Herford, author of four books on cycling, nutrition, cycling, comfort, and all things riding-related, lover of all things fitness-related. And I'm Peter Glassford. I'm a registered kinesiologist, uh, professional cycling coach, and a moderately talented bike racer um, who also just likes movement and all different types. That's why I went into kinesiology, and that's why we started this podcast, The Consummate Athlete. And this week, we're actually both acting as coaches, this month in fact. Uh, We're out in California at a training camp with a bunch of really talented uh, U23 and junior racers from Ontario. We've been having some pretty rainy weather, so it's made for some interesting adventures. Yeah, it's been good. I mean, my coaching philosophy is large on the experiences and, and skills, so... We've been working a lot on not only the fitness, we've been getting some big rides and hard rides climbing big mountains, but you know, today we're working a bit on pace lining into a crazy headwind and we're learning how to dress appropriately and fuel for these big rides and you know, deal with some adversity. We got a really wet, muddy driveway that a lot of the track riders have not been exposed to. Um, so yeah, so it's a really, really good camp, even with the sort of odd weather the West Coast is getting. Um, I, I look forward to my usual retreat to California weather here hopefully in the next week or so yeah absolutely and if you also head over to mollyherford.com you can sort of see some of the other stuff we've been you know dealing with as far as some nomad and van life stuff van life in the rain what to do for work when you have no internet Uh, a little more uh, digital digital nomad versus consummate athlete but if that's the kind of thing you're into I know a lot of our listeners really enjoyed our van life episodes so some interesting stuff there. Yeah, I've basically been retweeting Molly for my writing as I've been pretty drilled with the camp and trying to train and keep actual coaching clients going here. So, but it's all good. It's all bikes and we've yeah. been having a lot of fun. So, yeah. And this morning we got to get up super early. Uh, I thought I was going to be really tired to do this episode, but actually I was pretty invigorated by the time we got on the phone with my very good friend Carolyn Gaynor who I raced with collegiately. We sort of get into that a little bit. Um, We didn't really know each other that well in college, but we got to know each other a couple years ago when I was in her then living area of Austin, Texas. We got to hang out, had tons of great food, did some great swims together, uh, reminisced about our triathlon days. But she also told me about her newest kind of adventure she got into almost 10 years ago now, which is guiding Ironman for uh, peop- uh, for blind racers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it was really interesting. Uh, we went out to dinner in New York, and sort of after the <laughs> meal, I sort of had mentioned to Molly that she, Carolyn, would be a great a great guest on the podcast because she's, she's done a lot. She mentions water polo. She just keeps dropping random sports she's done. But I thought this uh, guiding and this sort of different approach to, to racing Ironman or racing marathons or racing endurance sport um, was something that a lot of you listeners, you consummate athletes, might be interested in. Some of the athletes who are maybe looking for another purpose or another, you know, reason to go out and do another Ironman or go out and do another marathon or another any sort of race really I mean it's coming to all different races now and so um, I think this is a really good 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 episode good message that Carolyn brings and she has a really good energy for life and movement and um, really is that consummate athlete with all her she works really hard and plays really hard and trains hard obviously so she can complete these so yeah I think a really solid episode it's filmed or sorry it's recorded in a McDonald's so 
listen closely or maybe not so closely for the sound of pop and soda and ice cubes i think we did a pretty good job with the muting i feel like you just threw me under the bus a little bit there it was on both of us it was a mcdonald's (laughs) that's just the scene i'm setting the scene here as you listen to this Mm -hmm. episode with, yes, with, and then and then go check out mollyherford.com and read the article about what to do when you have no internet or cell phone service in your house. Step one, go to the McDonald's. McDonald's. Anyway, enjoy the episode with Carolyn. I know we had a great time doing it. Welcome back to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. Before we get going, let's hear a word from our show sponsor, Health IQ. Health IQ provides life insurance for healthy, active people like yourself, dare I say, consummate athletes like yourself. They have competitive rates and a great website. If you can go check it out at healthiq.com slash consummate athlete, you'll help us out and you'll be helping yourself out by finding out a little bit more about life insurance, whether you need it, and what some options are. No pressure, just go check out the website, try a quiz. Thanks, guys. We have Carolyn Gaynor with us today, and we went out to dinner. Carolyn's a friend of Molly's, and we went out to dinner in New York City, um, and I was very impressed. She seemed like a very well-rounded person, but had a great sort of story around racing uh, as a guide for people in Ironman. So today we have Carolyn with us. Thank you for joining us, Carolyn. My pleasure. Just just dived right in there. Yeah, I figured why not. Good. So we've been rambling on here and having a great conversation, um, and again, that's what we were really impressed with Carolyn. She's... Know, very good. She's got lots of crazy stories. She works full time, uh, has lots going on. So, yeah. So let's get right into that then, Molly. Where did you want to start? Oh man, I I guess I'm thinking back to when Carolyn and I were crazy bike racers. Yeah. <laughs> so why don't we start? I mean, that's that's part of the progression we're looking at. Is you know a lot of people do start really serious, and that's the nature of, of sport, right? But then we you know have to find a, a purpose and a reason to keep going and, and become you know. We have to go to work at some point and become well-rounded people and stuff like that. So why don't you guys drive yeah. on that? Like, how do you? Get well, to, to that? can I can I interject for one moment to You're be clear? Best. You can be serious about something and not actually be good. So <laughs> if we are talking about my initial, you know, uh, cycling career, I loved it and I was very into it, but I've never been talented in any way. So I just want to make sure that's set up front. <laughs> I don't think that's quite fair, but maybe we'll say that neither of us were ever going to go with it where we were getting thrown money and bikes uh, I still carry around the $10 I want at bat and kill in 2007 so oh that's not anything like in your purse where is that $10 <laughs> well it's in my it's in a wallet that I don't use anymore but yeah it's still there huh. oh that's fantastic I wish I'd like framed like yeah the one check that I've ever won <laughs> exactly <laughs> with like cash that, it was great <laughs> that $25 is not getting me anywhere so kind of wish yeah. I still had it. <laughs> so did you start in collegiate, uh, similar to what Molly did? I did. Did? Yeah. And just with crits Yeah, I was stuff? a rower uh, oh. initially. Yeah, well, so I was a rower, and then I was like, you know, I, I quit rowing, and in order in order to prove that I didn't quit to become an alcoholic, I um, you know, I signed up for an Ironman, but a friend of mine <laughs> one does. me to, to join the, the, yeah, I was like, I've got to make sure. Uh, and so I, I joined the Columbia uh, cycling team and, uh, and raced my junior and senior year, raced in quotes. Yeah. So you raced to get ready for an Ironman, or that was after? Um, it was during. So I, the Ironman was like the the it was November of two thousand five. I raced the spring of two thousand five. Um, and I will say that 
bike racing completely changed my, my, I guess, everything about how I rode a bike, and it certainly helped um, my performance in triathlons. That was pretty much exactly the same story I had. Uh, for example, I learned that bike shorts were a thing uh, right? that I previously <sighs> did not know about when I was training for triathlon. <laughs> so Yeah. <laughs> I, I learned how to change a flat. Like I, you know, I, I learned how to take the air bars on and off my bike. I mean, all these silly things that, um, you know, I had no idea how to do any of it. <laughs> I, on the other hand, did not take my aero bars off the bike. I just uh, pulled the bars off and raced crits with them. As, I love that picture. As you pointed out. I, I love that I have, like, these random pictures of you before I even really knew you. <laughs> I know. It's so funny because we didn't – I mean, we kind of knew each other in collegiate. And then we hung out a couple times in Austin, Texas, which is a bit of a change from our New York, New Jersey eight upbringing. Years, eight years after the collegiate stuff. Let's, again, be clear on that. This was a- uh, way later oh <laughs> uh, we're so old <laughs> sorry <laughs> but but at that point you shifted from racing crits and you know the occasional triathlon to suddenly being this crazy endurance person who's doing Ironmans as a guide and you did ram so did you get like addicted to long endurance events or how did that shift happen and, and maybe it's you know my lack of talent but um I, the long <laughs> stuff I've always liked because it's one of those things where it's about who's going to stay in the race, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, that, that, that certainly is how it was uh, during Ram. Um, but the, the, the Ironman stuff, you know, again, I did one when I was a senior in, in, in college, but then I, I didn't have any interest in doing another one um, for a long time. And uh, in 2010, a, a woman who's now my, my good, good friend, Patricia Walsh, uh, found out, um, about me through some uh, through a friend in New York because she was training for an Ironman. She wanted to be the first blind female to do an Ironman with a female guide. And uh, she was training. She had a guide locally in Seattle where she was living. And they fell. Um, they were riding their bikes when it was wet out, and they fell on uh, railroad tracks that was really oh. slippery. And her guide broke her wrist. And this was five weeks before um, before the race. So... I had, I was in bike racing shape at the time. I was not in Ironman shape, um, but I had experience guiding. And so I figured I was her best shot. So, you know, I agreed to do this race five weeks out. And what's funny is, you know, we have these Facebook memories now. Um, and that's a a recent addition to Facebook, but this past summer I saw this, you know, update from, you know, seven or six years ago, you posted, can anyone help me get ready for an Ironman in five weeks? <laughs> and so it was like, like I know it happened, and I'm, but it's still funny to actually see the, the evidence just like pop up and get like thrown in your face, yeah. you know? Okay, so I have to ask, how did you get ready for an Ironman in five weeks and get ready to guide well, you, an Ironman in five weeks? Well, you can't. I mean, yeah. I'm just really lucky that I was physically able to do it. I think people underestimate what they can accomplish with minimal specific training. Um, I'm, I did a few long runs and I did a few long swims leading up to it. And, you know, the rest is nutrition and then base that you just have built up from years of training. I mean, mm-hmm. I think any of us who've been competing for a long time could probably just jump in and, you know, run a marathon or do an Ironman. I'm not saying it'd be pretty, but you could do it. 
Yeah, I think when we were out to dinner, you one accused me of interviewing you, and because I just kept pelting you with questions. Because when you said you got ready <laughs> in five weeks, I was like, perfect. I need to get ready very quickly and don't want to put a lot of work into this. <laughs> so I was just drilling you with questions, um, which you did answer quite well, and I was really excited. Um, yeah, but she knows how to swim. She does know how to swim, which we did realize. <laughs> but I have more than five weeks, yeah. so we'll be fine. We'll be fine. It's coming along. Um, but I like that, I mean, there's a mental component to do, but just so we understand, like that, that Iron Man that you're talking about that you got ready for five weeks, how long... Like, as I recall, it was like a 17-hour or something like that type day? No, thank, uh, this one wasn't, actually. This one, um, so Patricia's an amazing athlete. Um, she, so the swim was tough just because, you know, there are, uh, Ironman swims present their own challenges because you've got so many people swimming at once. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got 2,000 people that start swimming at you. Uh, it can be really uh challenging especially if you know you're new at that and then the bike um you know it's like placid that we did we did Ironman Lake Placid in 2010 and I had no idea how hilly it was there but um you know the the second half of each 56 mile loop is straight uphill uh and tandems don't climb well um you know I'm sure that there are people who would crush the time that we had but again you know I think we did pretty well considering that I had just met her and hadn't been training for it um but yeah it took us like eight hours on the bike, but then she's a great runner. So I just kind of tried not to screw up her run. Uh, mm-hmm. And we ended up running like four thirty or four forty for the it was four thirty for the for the marathon, which I think is still the fastest uh I, I and again I've only done one Ironman solo and I was uh being really conservative, but I've guided six Ironmans and uh or seven Ironmans and that's the uh this by far the fastest run that I've yeah. done. That's still a pretty legit time. Yeah, seriously. It is, yeah. Huh. I thought so. Yeah. Okay, so I mean that's still But she strange. killed she killed that time two years later, or like the year later with a couple of other guys. So I that's I, I just wanna make sure that people know she didn't her, her best time is not the, the fourteen forty five that we did. <laughs> and you, you ended up getting the, the title of the, the first like female guided by another female like crew then? I, yes. Um there is no, uh, there's no, you know, hall of fame. You didn't or get a plaque book. or anything. No, Mr. Guinness has not yeah, come if, to your home. If somebody pops up in a decade and, and says, no, some girl did it in the 90s, fine. You know, I will concede that. But as of now, I have not heard of anybody else doing an any other female blind athlete doing an Ironman with a female guide before 2010. That's so cool. Why do you think that is? Is it just because it's easier to find male guides or you know, a lot of women that I've found, so my, one of the things I try to do here is I, I love to recruit new guides. And unfortunately, um, the the challenging thing is that it's, well, there's no like central repository for like, you know, or database. There are a few places that you can go to try to find places to, you know, like find blind athletes in your area or whatever, but mm-hmm. there just aren't that many people doing it. Um, but I will say that every blind person should have uh, multiple guides that they can call on. I think it's a really bad idea to stick with only one guide all the time because, I mean, there are many complications associated with that. Uh, but, it, yeah, so I don't even know where I was going with that one, honestly. It was my cold <laughs> talking. But um, it's what – what did you just ask me? And please edit this out because I really don't remember. No, that's fine. Um, um, I mean, you were on sort of recruiting new guides, and that was sort of your mission. Oh, 
But we were talking about like yeah. men versus oh, women. Oh, why no one had done it before? Like yeah, no, yeah. I, I honestly don't even care if you. And I, you know, I don't have a good answer for why no one had done it before because there were people doing the sport. But um, but the concept I mean, of God Iron Man in Iron Man was fairly yeah. new, even if yeah. in that time span, right? Like just generally. Uh, yeah, I would say so. I mean, I think you're probably seeing way more of it lately. I mean, when I started guiding in 08, um, I don't even think I signed a waiver the first time I did it. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, when we signed up for Placid, um, my name wasn't anywhere in the, you know, now they'll take my name and my name shows up in the results, but it's under the physically challenged category, which I find kind of strange, but it's for safety reasons, not for anything else. Mm-hmm. But we didn't, my name wasn't anywhere. So I remember we both wore the same bib. So they'll, you'll usually get, like, two running bibs in Iron Man. Um, and so we both wore the same bib, and so people would say, like, Patricia, Patricia. <laughs> it was, I think they actually thought our names were both Patricia. Um, and I just remember hearing, Patricia, Patricia, all over the course. It was, it was really funny. Like, wow, that's they odd. found a so guy with the yeah. same So name. what about for swimming? Isn't that, like, because then there'd be a risk because they only think you're one person, basically? Or did they are they registering you as two people but just, like, under one bib? Now they're well. Back then, I honestly have no idea. I mean, I, I suppose the thing there was like as long as Patricia finishes, her guide is there. But sure, um, I guess that's an you're tethered yeah, together, uh, right? Like if if she comes out of the water, you're coming I guess. out. I guess. It, yeah, but it's crazy. I don't actually know. I mean, now you know it's two separate people. You know, two separate chips that'll show up. But um, mm-hmm. I mean, usually in the long races, at least. But yeah, it's kind of it's weird. <laughs> Okay, so we, we but I think you're right. It's, it's, a, it's a new concept. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We just mentioned the swim, and now I have to... Can you explain how the swim works as a guide? Because that seems like the yeah. craziest part to me. So the, I think this one's one of the more straightforward things in the race. Um, and uh, basically, you can be tethered in any number of ways. Um, the most common ways I've seen are you're tethered around your waist or around your thigh with some sort of a bungee cord. Um in Australia, there's a couple of the guys uh, that were doing the Ironman this December, I saw they were using, um, you know, those, like, cables that'll attach you to your surfboard mm-hmm. with the, like, the Velcro. So they used that, and they were attached at the ankle. Um, I prefer waist or, or thigh. I feel like that's easier for me to, con- you know, have control. Um, but, uh, you know, in ITU or Olympic-level racing, uh, you... The, I think the, the tether has to be, like, exactly a meter. But in Ironman, they're not taking out, like, the, the tape measures or anything mm-hmm. like that to see how long the tethers are. But I like to be – make sure I have enough space for arm clearance so when I'm pulling through uh, on the stroke, I don't hit the tether. Um, sometimes you can't avoid it. But I want to make sure it's not so long that the athlete can drift away because the, the worst part is if um, if the tether's too long and, she, she, like, someone's swimming too far away, I'll have to, like, stop and, and – grab the tether and kind of reel it into me. Oh, um, that's, that's annoying. But, uh, but yeah, so the, the, the goal is to swim pretty close together. I can never swim ahead of my athlete. Uh, you know, I avoid that at all costs because I don't want to, um, where you're, it's not legal to assist mm-hmm. with, you know, forward movement in any way. Uh, and then the, my body will kind of act as a barrier, uh, on the other side. But, so the tether prevents them from going too far one way. And then my body is the, the, block on the other um sometimes you get hit in the face and there's there's no way to avoid it (laughs) oh my gosh that just seems crazy to me because the swim is hectic enough like solo (laughs) so well i'll send you i'll send you a video of this uh, from bustleton uh because again i just did this iron man in december and 
it's uh, a straight out and back around the Bustleton jetty, which is the longest like wooden jetty in the, the world, I think. Uh, and so it doesn't spread out a ton. Um, and I don't think I've ever had a more physical swim and I see it as I'm trying to protect my athlete too. So mm-hmm. I like to bring up that I, I played water polo in high school and that prepared me uh, <laughs> for some of these rougher swim. It really did. But people will swim, try to swim between us. And so the thing oh. is, if somebody gets between us, yes, there's a risk of them getting clotheslined. But the other risk is they're like, what is this thing in my face? And they can grab the tether and yank it. And they could potentially pull it off. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> so that's a fear of mine. Yeah. Um, and it's not their fault. Like, they don't know. But. Right. It's, yeah. What's going on? Yeah. So do you guys practice together before the event? How does, how does practicing for this go? Well, uh, ideally you'd want to practice a lot, but, um, I tend to race with people that I don't live near. Right. Um, and now because I have raced with so many people and, um, you know, I've guided like 10 or 11 people, uh, in triathlons and, and to get to know the people you race with well, but you also, I think if you have raced with many different people with different preferences, you can, it's easier to adapt to a new athlete. Um, but I would say if anybody's trying to get into it, uh, practice with a sighted friend, um, you know, or, or try to make sure you're seeing whoever you're going to be racing with and then practice swimming because you got to see what they like, what they don't like, um, mm-hmm. command, how do you want to signal to each other, things like that. I'm like looking at Peter now. I'm just like, I think we're going to have to practice this in the pool at some point just to, just to see how <laughs> I it, love how it hearing feels. That goes. <laughs> That's a, it's good couples therapy, really. <laughs> so now have you guided, you've guided stuff then shorter than Ironman distance. Yeah. Uh, I've guided everything from sprint up to Olympic, um, guided one marathon as well. I know people are like, well, you did an Ironman, so you've done marathons, but running a marathon is different than mm-hmm. doing an Ironman. Very different. Yeah, seriously. So which is harder <laughs> than the short course or the long course? Because I feel like the short course presents a ton of challenges, especially in terms of speed. Oh, definitely. And I've, there have been races where, I mean, it was uh, it was actually with Patricia a year after the Ironman when I really understood what uh, some of my limitations were. Um, because, yeah, ideally you want to race with people that you're a lot faster than. And sometimes it doesn't work that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, but And also sometimes you just have a bad day. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I had a bad day with her in New York City, and that was when I you know, realized, like, this, you know, should these guys really need to be racing with elite pro-level athletes if they can, if they're trying to go to that high level, you know, if they're trying to go to the Paralympics. Um, you know, now the women that go to the Paralympics race with pro, with pro athletes. So the woman that won the Paralympics this year, uh, the girl in Australia, and she raced with Michaela Jones, you know, an, oh. an Olympic uh, you know, silver medalist and Kona champion um, from, from, you know, over a decade ago, obviously, but these are the people that should be guiding at the Paralympic level. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, the short stuff is hard, especially, I mean, <laughs> especially because things like transitions matter so much more. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, they're just less forgiving in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, how did you first get into guiding? I feel like we've glossed over this. That's, I mean, it's oh, kind yeah. of a weird, like, different thing to be getting into, especially as a competitive athlete. Like, not a lot of competitive athletes would jump 
from like being competitive for themselves to like helping other people. And that that was sort of what I was interested mostly in too was the you know yeah. a lot of us finished that collegiate where we had a purpose a why on why we well it's part mm-hmm. of collegiate racing it's part of our community you know we want to try and go pro or whatever but when that starts going away and you have your, you're a masters athlete like how do you find purpose? <gasps> Don't even right? say so, it. So yeah, I'm really intrigued <laughs> how you found that or what you found. Uh, well and I think I don't actually you know I know I I do this talk where I I tell this story a lot but I'll I'll give you guys the like actual sort of more in-depth version which is not it's not necessarily longer but um you know so graduated 06 2007 I had a pretty good season um posted some times that were good for me relatively speaking uh and then I kind of I had a really hard year in 2008 um so 2008 is when I started guiding but I was dealing with um just a lot of personal stuff um and I was just struggling. And I think, um, I, I was at my sleep is all messed up. And I was, I, you know, I wasn't diagnosed, but I'm pretty confident that I had, um, adrenal fatigue syndrome. And mm-hmm. so I was signed up for the New York city triathlon that year in 2008. I was signed up in the elite age group wave, which I had done the year before and I'd done well enough. Um, and, but I was really, I was just feeling terrible. Like I was having trouble running 10 minutes a mile, which was many minutes per mile slower than I would normally go. Um, and I got a, I got a phone call from a, a friend of mine, this guy, Matt Miller, he runs base nutrition now. And he had a, he had a charity called, uh, see different where he would connect blind athletes with guys. And I don't think it exists anymore, but, um, it, anyway, he was, it was somebody I knew, but I, I didn't know any women that were doing it. And he said, uh, Hey, I have a girl coming into New York. She's doing the New York city triathlon, but she doesn't have a guide yet. And this was one week before the race. <laughs> Um, and so, you know, when some people paint this picture, they're like, oh, she was super competitive and she was, you know, going to go out and kill this elite age group wave. And it's like, that's, that's not the case. Like, I think that guiding that race, uh, helped me as much or more than it helped, you know, the athletes that I raced with. Um, and, and I also just had a fantastic time. So thankfully she was a new athlete, even though I wasn't feeling great, like I was still totally able to, to keep up with whatever, um, she needed me to do. But in terms of my own abilities, I wasn't anywhere near where I wanted to be for myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the New York city triathlon for anyone that hasn't done it, cause I've, I've done that yeah. one as well. That one is no joke. That's a fast freaking race. Like it, it is. And the, uh, and the it, elite it amateur wave is terrifying. Like, Oh, did you do that one? I did that one in 2010. Yeah. The dive off of okay. the, the thing into the Hudson yep. river. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh. <laughs> no, so I did that. I'd actually done it the past two years and again, had done pretty well, but like, oh man, I remember practicing dives and like, how do you, cause I didn't swim. I was a water polo player. You don't dive in. Yeah. So like, how do I keep my goggles on? Like, yeah. what do I do? I think, I think <laughs> I actually dove with one hand on my goggles and one hand out. I, it was not smooth. I might've done that too. <laughs> yeah. I was just I'm so glad terrified. You know that. Not, yeah. Not many people know that wave is, Frightening. Yeah. Holy crap. Didn't it get canceled because the Hudson was so dirty recently or something? Or was that this year? I think the swim uh, got canceled in the past couple of years no. because of that. Did it? I don't know. It was a crazy. spill I, or I something. I did it 10 years in a row, but it was never canceled when I did it. But it, you will have the fastest swim of your life, which is pretty fun. I know, right? You could literally just like, like float and you'd no, finish. That's my type of swimming. <laughs> that, that's why when anybody ever tells you what their, their best times are for things, find out what race they're talking about because yeah. you can cut a good amount of time off of, you know, off of your, your races depending on what the swim is like. Yeah. Right. 
Yeah, that one's pretty excellent. Okay, so that's guiding how you got into it roughly. So I, th I think that makes sense. There was sort of an opportunity there. Um, yeah. And then, you know, you did that one race. So then did you feel like that was like, you know, there's a need there and it was, you know, kept you active? Like, how did yeah, you, how did you make that choice? That I guess, I guess I'm always intrigued by the choice to stop, stop, like you stopped yeah, racing it, just for you. Yeah. And I think it just, the more I did it, the more I enjoyed it. Um, and then there became a, a greater need. So at first I just knew this girl, Kim, and we did the New York City try, and then we did. I, I was like, "Hey, we had, we had a lot of fun. You want to do the uh, the Chicago try as well?" And so we did that, um, and that was '08. And then 2009, she and I did uh, the New York City try, and I think that was that was it in 2009, I think. Uh, and then we went to a, a cycling camp. So uh, 2009, you know, I, I raced. Actually, 2009, I raced. I think 63 times because I was laid off for most of that year, so I raced all the time track road cyclocross triathlons um i just it was insane um and then 2010 is when i think the switch flipped for me which was the, the iron man i think it was guiding the iron man that really started to motivate me um to just get totally into it um, and that's also when i started meeting more and more people but uh, i mean so molly's on an iron man uh so you know the feeling when you cross that finish line and, mm -hmm. and it honestly doesn't even matter how fast or slow you go you're like this was an accomplishment yep. you know <laughs> um and and i it, it's, it's kind of addictive um but i really enjoyed the idea of helping and it's not just helping because it's not just this like you know altruistic thing you get so much out of it but to cross the finish line with another person mm -hmm. is way better than crossing the finish line by yourself um mm way better really yeah cool. peter keep no. that in mind during the race and maybe slow down on the bike so we can cross the line together i don't think, so. I, I don't think that counts i don't think that's quite the same thing yeah when's your race uh when july 29th it's iron man canada okay yeah oh shoot i thought it was july 31st i, I thought i had two more days oh boy yeah. okay well here's how about this you guys can think about the fact that like seven years prior patricia you know did this it's basically exactly uh seven years yeah. to the day that you guys are doing this so okay. well, you can think about that <laughs> yeah. i like it okay so i have to ask which is more stressful uh or which was more stressful competing on your own or guiding because i feel like they both present uh, kind of unique stressors that depends on the day like if you're feeling great when you're on your own i mean we we know that feeling when you're in yeah. the zone and you're like I mean, I remember my best New York City try, and I was like, I'm flying right now. Mm -hmm. this is, again, relatively speaking, for me, I was flying. Um, but uh, and there are some very stressful elements to guiding. And, and also, think about, I mean, for, for the athlete and for you, clearly, but think about how stressful it can be when you're physically hurting, but you're connected to somebody. Like, imagine if you had to do all of your workouts like, with somebody right next to you. I mean, there are some times when you just really wish you could be by yourself. Mm-hmm. Anything the other person does is going to annoy the crap out of you. I mean, it's almost like being in a relationship. Um, but it's so there are times when you're just like, I want to be anywhere but where I am in this moment. Uh, and I think both people have that feeling. <laughs> so that's that can be really stressful. Or when there's something that's just out of your control, and and that extra pressure of knowing that you could just be letting someone down in this moment. Because um, letting yourself down, okay, you can get over that. But if you let someone else down, that's that's scary stuff to me. Yeah. Have you ever had a moment in a triathlon where you're like, oh my God, I don't, I don't know that I'm going to finish like with this person that I'm guiding? Yeah. 
Yeah, I uh, a couple of times it's happened. Um, the and it's actually past a couple of times it happened with the same person. Well, uh, and you know one of the times was uh, it was Ironman Arizona in 2011. Uh, and I I don't normally get like leg cramps or anything like that, but in this race my legs just started seizing up. Um, Tina's convinced that it's because we were virtually hypothermic on the swim. Um, but when we got to the run, I was really worried I was going to like fall and pull her down. Um, and this was her first Ironman and she was trying to hit this goal. And so I ended up pulling out at mile 13 and there were, she had a lot of teammates on the course and people just helped her get to the end. Um, but that was like, that was, I mean, that was, I was still new at guiding. So I was devastated by it. Mm -hmm. Um, but Tina was really cool. Uh, and she did really well in the race. Um, but then most recently I had, uh, I guess, I have some sort of exercise-induced asthma, um, which I was not aware of, but um, I had an asthma attack in uh, Ironman 70.3 Augusta, so the half Ironman in Augusta, and I couldn't breathe, like, seven miles into the run, and so I ended up in the ER and, like, all this stuff. Uh, and in that case, there was some guy on the course who was he was having a bad day, and he he saw that we were in distress, so he helped. He was basically holding me up. And then I knew I had to stop. Well, I didn't want to stop, but Tina was like, well, you have to go get help. And, and I was, I asked the guy, you know, can you help? Well, I, or maybe Tina asked him. I was kind of delirious. <laughs> but he ended up stepping in. He took my chip from me and finished with her. And I read his post afterward. I mean, he was the ultimate hero in that instance. I mean, he had, it sounded like he had one of the best days of his life. And so I feel like, I'm not saying it was meant to happen, but what a cool thing to be able to step in and just truly save the day for someone. That's awesome. Yeah. So bad no, things happen, but sometimes a... good things come out of it. Yeah. Yeah. And... I think that's, that's good. Like there's two stories there. Like I think there's that you had, you know, you have to have that communication with your partner where, you know, it's sport, like you're not going to have a good day every day. And that's just part of the, the challenge, right? Like they have to embrace that context of the sport is that they're actually getting themselves and their guide to the finish line, right? Like that's part of it. Um, and yeah. then also that, you know, another person was able to find, you know, that there's a deeper meaning to sport or another, another why to sport. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, exactly. Um, and it's, I'm lucky because I've been doing it so long and I've done so many races that, one race isn't like, you know, I don't question my own abilities anymore, but I can imagine if you're getting into guiding and you're new to it and you have moments like that, that can be pretty, uh, pretty stressful. Mm -hmm. now, I want to talk about how to get into guiding, but first I want to go with what's yeah. like the coolest guiding experience that you've had. Cause let's, let's start the, how to get into guiding on like a positive, not like a, I was on the side of the road and uh, couldn't keep going. Note. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I mean, there's so many, like, uh, I mean, you've been to so many cool I, places with it. Well, just recently. Yeah, were, I mean, um, Australia, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. That, uh, that was, yeah, Tina, another, again, the same woman that I've had those bad experiences with, thankfully she, we've had many other positive ones, but she <laughs> asked me if I wanted to do Ironman Australia this past year, and, you know, of course I wasn't going to say no to that, but, man, Australia is a cool uh, country. <laughs> that was, that was amazing. And uh, the people were great. The course was great. I mean, and we're, we're, when, we're, when we were on the run, everyone just kept calling us legends. Oh. I, I know it's just an Australian thing to do, but, man, that's just, like, such a fun compliment. <laughs> yeah, for was, sure. The, I've never experienced better energy on the course. Um, 
and people are always so kind when you're when you're guiding. Uh, people just get really excited to see an athlete like that on the course, um, and that's whether you want it or not. That's kind of a gift or potentially a curse, depending. You know, because we visually impaired athletes are athletes. They want to be seen as athletes, not as like, oh wow, look at you, mm-hmm. you know, accomplishing this thing. It, it, so there's there are two sides to it, but I do still think it's pretty neat. Um, I guess the way I put it is if you just saw like me or Polly running in a race, you wouldn't be like, Oh man, she's overcoming an obstacle. Mm-hmm. Right. You see somebody with some sort of physical challenge. Maybe they don't look like the traditional racer. You see them on the course and you're like, and, and people who are on the, the, the sidelines, maybe you're giving them this thought that, Hey, maybe I can do something. I don't, I didn't think I could do. Um, I don't think that when I'm by myself working out that I, I make people feel that way. Um, and so, again, for better or for worse, I think it's pretty neat, but maybe I feel like that because I don't, you know, I don't motivate people like that. Uh, <laughs> I so think you do. I think it's, I think it's, <laughs> I mean, it, it doesn't look like it should be hard for me. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and again, a lot of, a lot of the blind athletes I know are, are better athletes than many of the sighted people I know, but, uh, but it still is, it's a challenge, like to find people to train with in your workouts. It's, mm-hmm. there are additional obstacles, um, and so I think it's pretty, pretty badass. Now I asked you this question at dinner too, so hopefully it's okay to ask you this, but most of these yeah. experiences are, are, um, like altruistic in that, like your sort of pain as if you were going into the event, like there's the odd exception if it's like excessive travel or something like that. But most of the time you're sort of on your own dime and doing it as a, as a volunteer, I guess, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it definitely helps to, so you know, these, these people, there aren't, there usually isn't a ton of outside funding for these things. Like if you're at high level races, you can be a pro triathlete, you know, the Paralympians are professional athletes and they get paid to do this, but, um, anything else, it's, it's strictly recreation. And so it's, it's expensive. Tandem bikes are expensive. Travel is expensive. Um, and so asking an athlete to pay for all of the expenses associated with their race and then also for their guide, that's a lot to ask. And I don't know a ton of people who are in a position to be able to do that. So, um, you know, typically I pay for my own flights. Um, and uh, you know, if somebody can't afford it, like, you know, Tina is incredibly generous. Um, she knew that Australia was going to be tough for me. So she, she paid for my ticket, but, um, you know, James came, uh, my fiance came and he, uh, we, we paid for all his stuff. Um, and so it's, I, I try to pay for a good portion of things. Mm-hmm. It's not, uh, yeah. So I, I probably I spend a lot of money on guiding. I'll say that. But, but <laughs> it's I worth think, it. Like I, it's I totally work, worth it. I work with a lot of masters cyclists and, you know, endurance athletes. And a lot of them are doing these events increasingly, you know, gravel grinders and stuff as just in yeah. the same way you describe it, you know, getting out there, staying active. They want a motivation. They want to experience you know, they want that feeling of crossing the line, but they have, you know, usually there's some sort of time or some sort of goal. They maybe done it before, but usually it's crossing the line and just a crazy experience. They want to cross Leadville off the thing. You want to cross Iron Man off the, their bucket list. Right. So the, yeah. what you're talking about doesn't seem crazy to me. Like, and it's almost additive in that you're getting this other experience with this other person. Right. And you're giving. So I think this would be attractive to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. But, but it is competitive, so don't don't get me wrong on that. Sometimes people just want to finish, but a lot of the time they have their own very specific goals, and it's your job to help them achieve their goal. And it's also, I think, your job it, it, to say no if you're not the right person. Like, you can't be greedy about it. Um, you know, I don't guide 
uh, I prefer I, I prefer not to guide shorter races, like ITU type races, um, like high level competition races, just because I know there are people that are better at it than I am. They are, you know, and I, and I will do it if uh, if there's a need, but I would rather have someone uh, who either has been a professional triathlete or has guided ITU before because there are a lot of rules. Um, and so sometimes it's better just to say no to things um, and to help the person find a different ath- a different guide. But, you know, it's uh, you have to respect their athleticism and their goals and know that it's, you know, you can't just be like, well, I'm not that competitive on, on my own, so maybe I'll guide. You know, that's not how it works. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, speaking yeah. of which, actually, so what does training look like for you now? Like if you know you, you're going to have an Ironman coming up, is it the same as when you trained for Ironman like solo? Oh man, when I trained for my Ironman, when I was my, the only one I did alone, I was really young and I was really scared I wouldn't finish. So I had a really, really, really strict training plan. Um, and I was in college, so yeah, I had a lot more time, um, but now, uh, yeah, I do approach it in the same way in terms of wanting to make sure I get the the same number of, um, you know, getting the miles in in terms of on the bike and on the run. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, an, I'm notorious for not swimming ever. Um, <laughs> Except so when might, I'm there I and we swam. Swim. Yeah, that was so fun. That was yeah. so much fun. Um, yeah, I, yeah. It's the only thing that's missing in Charlotte is open water swimming, but um Austin, Texas is not uh, limited in terms of places you can swim, which is cool. Um, but yeah, I, I don't swim much, but if I, maybe if I were swimming, on, if I were doing my own Ironman, I would swim more just to get that extra speed. But if I'm racing with somebody and I know that I can comfortably swim their pace, um, I will tend to put as much time in on the bike as possible because that's where I can add the most value as a guide. Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, we should put this in the guys that you're not a professional guide but you like you no. work you're traveling okay. a lot you you know you have a, a, a I don't know if you want to describe your job at all but you travel a lot for your job doing sure. presentations and stuff so like it's not like you're just at home pedaling on your trainer all day long oh god no yeah no I uh I am so I work um I work at a, a large mutual fund company um I just relocated to Charlotte um and so I'm traveling minimum twice a month I would say depending uh and you know when I travel I don't have my bike so yeah you're, that's a fair point that uh it's it's really hard to get that in so I try to run when I'm on the road um right now I'm focusing a lot on strength training uh but I've got you know this year I don't have any full Ironman so I've got a half in in like six weeks so it's it is hard but that's the same I, I mean most people I know that do these races uh have jobs and families and stuff. I don't have any kids yet, so that's that's easier. But um, it's it can be really hard, and sometimes I get really stressed about the fact that I don't get as much volume in as I want. But I also think it's just important to get enough sleep, and that's usually my number one priority because I've done that thing where you mess with your sleep, and mm-hmm. the consequences are far too great. No, I realized. If- it wasn't that recent, or it wasn't that long ago, actually, embarrassingly. But if I don't sleep, I just basically just don't train now because it's just not worth it. I just it, it really is. Except the worst part is your anxiety is heightened anyway because you haven't slept, and yep. so then you're like, I really I need to work out, but you really shouldn't. <laughs> exactly. Um, okay. I'm wondering just just to drill in a bit more on the sort of time crunch training a bit. Um, is there yeah. something like when you run, when you're on the road, like, are you just like plodding along at your Ironman pace or do you do like 
a certain interval thing and then similar question for the bike so maybe let's start with the run but um what what do you do yeah. when you run so running especially if i don't have access to like a track or something um uh, i will well when i'm in new york which you know i'm in new york a lot uh, one of my favorite things to do is to do intervals where i'll run maybe um you know two minutes at you know race pace but not not ironman races but you know five or ten k race pace and then i'll do one or two minutes off um, and I found that to be really effective. Uh, and then if I'm on a treadmill, I will, you know, one of my standard fast, uh, fast work or short workouts on the treadmill is to, to warm up for like 10 minutes and then do kind of a ladder where you're every 15 to 30 seconds, you are decreasing or increasing the speed on the treadmill, um, until it gets really uncomfortable. Um, so I, I kind of improvise, but there are ways to get in speed work, um, no matter where you are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, and that's definitely the thing I find with endurance athletes. They sort with endurance athletes is that they miss that speed work and sort of hit like a plateau of how fast they can sort of turn their legs over and how fast they can move forward. Um, so that makes sense. Oh yeah, and I I think you're right. And actually, after this last Ironman, I felt I felt kind of sloppy. I was like, you know, I just missed the speed and the strength and stuff. So that's what I've been doing this winter is I've kind of been neglecting the bike and I'm just trying to run and do strength stuff to just see if I can get some of that speed back because it definitely, um, it goes away. Okay. And then for the bike, is there anything specific you do? Like I see you ride the trainer a fair bit. So is there, how do you not yeah. go crazy on the trainer? Yeah. How do you not go crazy? Yeah. Um, well, I have, you know, I've had worked with lots of coaches and so I have sort of this bank of workouts, although I really probably should get a coach and I do recommend that anybody who's training for, for anything should get a coach. Yeah. So don't be like me, but um, I'll go in and I, I just look up old workouts um, and depending on how long I'm going to be on the trainer, uh, I will, will do intervals. Um, and there are some, I mean, I just have some great workouts and, and you know, anything that causes you to have to change the intensity level even multiple times within an interval is probably the best thing to help uh, avoid going totally nuts. Um, you know, so you've got a 20 minute interval, but you're, you're going from, you know, your power numbers are going up or down depending, um, on where you are in that interval. That, that makes it a lot. I will say that really makes the time go by faster. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think people miss And that. I watch a lot of movies. Nice. Yep. <laughs> okay. Um, I think the next thing was where, like, is there, and I asked you this too, but you said, and you mentioned it or alluded to it in the beginning, but is there, is there any sort of website or way to connect with people if people are thinking that guiding might be for them? Yeah, there, there are a number. Um, I put together a, um, a list of these sites. Um, so I could list them all off, but, um, if you go to, I have a blog that I don't update. So this isn't like a, Hey, go visit my blog thing. <laughs> but, um, I really don't update it, but there's, uh, it's Caroline bikes, but it's Caroline. So C A R O L I N E bikes.com. And, uh, I have a, a list of resources. So it's on this a tab, this is resources and it's got a whole bunch of organizations, but, um, there is, uh, United in stride is a website that connects blind athletes with runners and they're still trying to get up to critical mass, um, of users. And the, the point of that is to be able to get athletes to, um, even if you're traveling to, to look on and say, okay, who's signed up as a guide in my area. And you can, you can message people. Um, some people have found that to be effective. Uh, people are always welcome to contact me. Um, cause I do know a number of people that are always looking for, for, for guides and, uh, same goes for blind athletes. Uh, I hope, I hope some of them are listening to, um, 
And then there's, there's always Achilles International. They have a huge presence in New York. Um, Catapult is a new organization in Houston. Um, there's CAF, Challenge Athletes Foundation. So there's, there are a bunch, but it's, you really do have to put some work in. Um, most of the people I've met have been through just, I, I did Twitter searches. I, you know, there's, oh, there's a Facebook group, um, like running, guiding eyes. I can't remember the, the full name of it, but it's, it's on my resources blog, but put your name out there as often as possible. Um, don't expect that if you just say, Oh, Hey, I want a guide that someone's just going to call you. It, I wish it worked that way, but um, it's, it's harder to get connected than that. Yeah, for sure. And now if you think like, okay, this might be cool if I try this, is there a, like, would you recommend like practicing with like a sighted friend to see if it's possible to guide? Because like, I don't necessarily know that I would have the temperament for it or like be any good at it. So I'd be afraid of like showing up and, (laughs) you know, tripping somebody or like. Well, I mean, I'm going to jump in on this one, Carolyn. I'm going to take a shot at it, but. We're doing an event here in Ontario called Cycle for Sight, and it's uh, like a charity ride for to help the foundation fighting blindness. But there's an opportunity awesome. in Thank that you. to do guiding, and it just there's a 50k version, and they sort of have tandems, you know, that they sort of source and help people try it. Even oh, please do it. Please yeah, do it. so I mean, there's I, there must be lots of lower key things where it's like you know people just even trying it on both sides, right? Yeah, and, and please, I'm begging you, if either of you have the opportunity to pilot a tandem, because I know that either of you would be amazing at it. Um, when it comes to piloting on the bike, I think being a bike racer is so helpful. Um, mm-hmm. no, you know, not trying to knock triathletes, but... <laughs> but to knock don't triathletes have to, for a second. <laughs> I don't think I would have made it through my first race if I, didn't, if I hadn't been confident on the bike. And I wasn't a naturally strong bike handler, but I spent a lot of time riding through... Manhattan, racing cyclocross, racing in road races and crits, and that really helped um, because you have to be confident on the bike is the number one thing. You have to feel like don't go into the experience feeling nervous. Mm-hmm. Um, practicing with a, a sighted person on the back of the tandem is definitely helpful, but um, but seriously, you guys have to try it because I think you'll be really, really good at it. Um, and then, Molly, to your point, the temperament thing, I mean, that's that is real. Uh, I think patience is really, really important, mm-hmm. but a lot of it isn't just patience. It's getting to know the person that you're racing with because people are so different. Um, totally. Some people want me to be, want me to chat and be motivational. Some people are like, please don't talk. <laughs> Thankfully not, not the people who do the Ironmans with me, but, uh, but you know, in, in shorter races too, I mean, you have to respect what that athlete wants because the number one thing that people should take away from this is it, when you're guiding, it's not your race. Um, you shouldn't do it because you want to get a free entry into an Ironman um, because guys don't pay. Uh, you should do this because you want to help another person achieve a goal for themselves, you know, for his or herself. That's the reason to do it. Yeah. Um, yes. Yes. You will get a lot out of it, but, um, but yeah, you, and, and you are a person, so you shouldn't, it's not like you can, should take a lot of shit or, you know, allow somebody to get mad at you or something like that in a race. But, um, but you really do have to, be patient and respect what they're going through. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And then are there any other, you kind of hit on a couple of them. I was going to say, what are mistakes that new guiding people make? And I think you just you hit on a couple of them, but are there any like kind of technical ones that you've, you've noticed? Mm, I think 
not just not reading the situation. And I think I, I maybe I bring that up because I have been the type, depending on where I was in my life, you know, I've been the type to kind of come in with my full personality, just like, you know, out there and I would take over a situation and that can be helpful, but just make sure you're not, um, I don't know, just make sure you're reading the situation. You're reading the person. This is a new relationship. If you're just getting into guiding, I mean, think of, of approach it as though you're approaching a new, a new romantic relationship, get to know the person really well, find out the things they like and don't like, um, talk to people who have guided. Um, I'm really easy to find online. People can always ask me questions. Um, and I can connect you with other people that know, you know, a lot about this stuff as well. Um, but yeah, I guess mistakes are just, I mean, here's the thing. So even if you're not going very fast, um, it, it is not, I mean, I won't say it's always tiring, but you, you have to maintain a really high level of focus. I mean, I have run people into things before I have tripped (laughs) and, and people have fallen. I mean, that will happen. And that's not necessarily a mistake. So, you know, maybe, and I did this in a roundabout way, but maybe the number one mistake is worrying too much about making a mistake. Because if you worry that much, it'll consume you. I mean, you're going to fall at some point. Your athlete's going to fall at some point. This isn't new. And that doesn't mean you're a bad guide. Yeah, absolutely. I think that makes a ton of sense. Uh, Peter, do you have any other questions? I think that was my last one. No, I think that's really good. I'm, I'm excited now even more so than after our dinner, but yeah, right? uh, yeah the McDonald's we're stealing internet from is starting to really heat up and we got, <laughs> they're, they're pouring Coke. Well, you have to do right it. Here. Please ride the tandem. <laughs> All right. We will, sorry, no, we will, talked over you. That's we might okay. have to try to do that, I guess. We're talked into it. Oh, okay. come on, Molly. I know, I know. I'm, <laughs> I'm terrified about it, honestly. Like, the, the handling part. No, I really, I mean, that, the being tied to someone's a little new, but, like, I've done a lot of mountain bike stage races and stuff, and it's a lot what you're talking about is the exact same. Yeah, I'm going to have to ask you about mountain bike racing at some point, because I'm terrified of it, and I really want to get into it. Um, but I think, especially mountain bike and cyclocross racers have such a huge advantage, because uh, they're such great bike handlers. Yeah, I mean, you would, I think, do great in something like a Dirty Kanza or Leadville or something like that. Like, it's not that technical, but just long, long days of pedaling. And, you know, I think you have pretty much most of what you need is from Ironman and stuff for that. And I'm, I'm really interested in trying new stuff, so I'm going to bother you about that later. <laughs> Please do. Awesome. All right, we'll let you go before McDonald's kicks us out here. Okay, real quick, where can everybody find you? Up? Okay, so I'm on Facebook. You can just search for my name, um, Carolyn, C-A-R-O-L-I-N-E, dot, or, or yeah, that's my email, but Gainer, G-A-Y-N-O-R. Um, I do have that blog, Carolyn Bikes. Um, Instagram is the same thing. Twitter is the same handle. So so Carolyn Bikes. It's Carolyn, but it's pronounced, sorry, it's Carol, it's pronounced Carolyn, but it's spelled Caroline. Um, and it's it's really easy to contact me. Uh, certainly they could reach out to you. And you, I, if somebody wants to ask questions, um, feel free to give my email out. But, uh, you know, we just need to get more more athletes into this, more competitive athletes. Uh, and if you know any blind people that don't realize that this is a thing that they can do, encourage the people you know in your life that have, um, you know, visual impairments to, to get active because I think it's, it's just such a, such a rewarding thing and, uh, and it's such a great community. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for chatting. It was super fun catching up and we'll have to do it again over, you know, more food and more wine next time. 
sure. Yes, please, very soon. Uh, and I'm always happy to help. So uh, I really appreciate you guys asking me to come on. I'm very excited about it. Thank you. Have a great day. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. Uh, to check out all of the show notes for this episode, you can head over to consummateathlete.com. And we would love to hear from you about what you thought about the podcast. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Molly J. Herford. And at Peter Glassford. And we would also love it if you would pop over to iTunes and subscribe to the podcast so you can tell every time a new episode, a new sport comes out. And if you would leave us a review, let us know how you're, how you're liking it, how we're doing, if there's anything you'd like to hear more of, that would be amazing. And you can find us over on Facebook now, uh, facebook.com backslash consummate athlete. Thanks again for tuning in, and we will see you next time.